This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. Welcome to Decolonize Your Destiny podcast. I'm your host, Ingrid LaFleur. Today, we are talking about decolonizing race relations with guest Jacob Evan Smith. Hello, hello. Jacob Evan Smith is a Detroit-based entrepreneur, tech ecosystem builder, and community organizer. He is a lifelong Michigander who grew up in West Bloomfield, graduated from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and has lived in Detroit since 2012. In his role as partnership manager for Allometric, a global software services firm headquartered in Michigan, he manages a community hub for software engineers called The Collider in downtown Detroit. Jacob produces and hosts a number of community projects, including the Returning Citizen podcast, a positive storytelling platform for the formerly incarcerated, the Coalition series, a pop-up dinner experience that connects Black and Jewish Detroiters over delicious food, and workshops encouraging uncomfortable conversations within the Metro Detroit community. It's very thorough. (laughs) You can just call me Jacob for the record. Am I coming through okay? Is this too loud? This is great. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Yes. Um, where to begin? So we've known each other for quite a while, and I've always admired your work with creating and cultivating um, the relationship between Black and Jewish Detroiters. Uh, but before we get into that, can you just please let us know how you identify? Yeah. So... Uh, Essentially, I grew up uh, in a Jewish community, uh, and I definitely also identify as being both white and Jewish, if you're talking about my identity uh, culturally. Okay. And, yeah. as, and as a man. And, uh, <laughs> Sis, your sister. Um, I identify as a, as a proud Michigander and Detroiter. Okay. Uh, amongst other things. Okay, great. No, I think it's really important to kind of establish that to make sure that we understand, like, from, you know, what point of experience um, and history from which uh, mm-hmm. you are uh, working from. So, yeah, let's start there. Why um, black and Jewish relationships uh, in Detroit? Why is that important to cultivate and, and really create a stronger bond? Yeah, I can speak to that personally real quick, and then I can touch on kind of... Uh, a broader context of, of kind of thinking about that work in a, in a larger scope. Um, so personally, that work was inspired um, essentially through my own experience being in the city. Um, so I moved to the city in 2012, 
Um, grew up in West Bloomfield, Michigan. I actually went to pretty uh, ethnically diverse uh, middle school and high school um, at Berkshire and, and Groves, um, Birmingham District. Um, but where the schools were, were relatively, um, you know, more of a, a mixing mixing pot, big mixing bowl than a melting pot, whatever, um, where folks were, were still kind of very segmented culturally in terms of friend groups and such. Um, and college kind of had more of a, a mixed up experience culturally. Um, but then it wasn't really until I came to Detroit um, and started putting myself out of my comfort zone and really starting to explore the broader Detroit community um, that I started to really develop, um, you know, close relationships with black people around me. Um, that was pretty striking for me because I kind of grew up always um, thinking of myself as being very culturally open-minded, uh, et cetera. But um, it kind of struck me that uh, it, it wasn't really until that kind of late stage of my life when I was like 22 years old uh, that I started developing um, those types of relationships. And um, I actually had a number of conversations where folks um, asked me, uh, so I'm talking about uh, white people, <laughs> At, white friends asked me in confidence uh, different variations of the question, uh, like, "So I, I know you have lots of black friends. How how did you do that? Like, how did you go about that?" And I was so struck by that because I was like, "Well, to me, it was like I just like I'm just like hanging out with people, and I live in a city that's 85 percent black. Uh, like, it wasn't there, there wasn't like that wasn't intentional. It was just kind of like it just happened um, because I'm cold, I'm curious, and I was just exploring my surroundings. Um, but when I started thinking about that, I was like, man." there's probably a lot of people that are interested in engaging cross-culturally, but just don't even know where to start. Um, and that was kind of the point of insight that, that encouraged that work for me initially. So I was like, well, uh, you know, thinking about my own personal network, I happen to have a lot of Jewish friends. I happen to have a lot of black friends, and it's communities that I, um, you know, really uh, feel, feel close to and, and uh, know a lot of amazing people that should know each other. But are less likely to cross paths solely because we live in a place that uh, all too often, um, whether people, where people live, where people hang out, is just too often culturally segregated. Um, so that was honestly the, the uh, impetus to start the, the coalition series to begin with. Um, that was where the idea came from. Um, and then it got, uh, the, the catalyst that, that jumped it into action was uh, the Unite the Right rallies in Charlottesville. Um, what year was that? Was that 2016? Mm. Um, so whatever the, the recent uh, yeah, the white nationalist rallies in, in uh, Charlottesville, um, kind of seeing how, um, particularly how the, the Metro Detroit Jewish community, um, how folks around me were reacting, just like the amount of um, kind of surprise. And um, I think it caught a lot of people off guard that anti-Semitism was kind of still so visceral and on the surface. Um, and really just, uh, you know, kind of struck me. And then at the same time, a group formed, uh, through the organized Jewish community called the Coalition for Black and Jewish Unity. That was an official partnership between the JCRC, the Jewish Community Relations Council, uh, JCRC agency, and uh, I think it's the Coalition of, of Baptist Pastors, um, started this coalition um, to basically create an entity that could speak out in unison against anti-Semitism and, and racism. Um, so once that group formed, I was like, oh man, like if the organized community is hopping on board, now's the time. That was kind of the kick in the butt. And I was like, you guys, like, I can engage younger people around this, like if I can get some resources and got some funding to subsidize a, a dinner series, and that's how that started. I have a question. It, you know, the, I've peeked in on the dinners, and they're amazing. Um, I'm wondering, within this context, what does co-conspirator mean uh, within the climate 
the current climate that we're we've been dealing with for a couple of years now has gotten really really intense. Um, and making these, you know, the dinners are really lovely and beautiful and loving and healing, and <laughs> I really enjoy them. But I'm just curious in terms of action, what does Coca's spirit or mean in this in this context? Uh, happy to answer that. I, I also want to just uh, backtrack for a second because I didn't actually answer why Black Jewish relations. Uh, just so quickly on that, I, in a in a broader historical context, uh, the Black community and Jewish community have been. Uh, there's there's deep historical context here uh, dating back uh, for generations, particularly in Detroit um, and elsewhere, where uh, this kind of blacks and Jews uh, being kind of um, duly marginalized, uh, you know, both both marginalized and, and living alongside each other in communities um, with with certain types of uh, shared kind of um, uh, cultural uh, values and different things. Um, and you know, with at the same time experiencing uh, certain types of, of oppression. I mean, it's it's been something that has existed for generations. So there's a, a strong historical context. Um, additionally, uh, for the Jewish community, the Jewish community is in a unique position of both uh, being multicultural, where there's there are, for example, African American Jews, Black Jews. Um, so the, the Jewish community is not all of European descent, not all white skinned. Um, so it's both a multicultural community. So these so issues that impact the black community directly impact Jews, and at the same time, for even white-skinned Jews um, coming out of World War II and the Holocaust, uh, which was a, a racial a racial genocide. Hitler didn't care if you converted to Christianity; you were still Jewish by blood. Uh, that was a racial designation. Um, so Jews have also had a recent, very real experience, kind of this collective trauma um, coming out of the the Holocaust. So. Uh, I think the uh, white Jewish community is in this kind of unique position of both having this kind of lived cultural experience of, of oppression while also benefiting from uh, certain aspects of, of privilege related to skin color um, in, an Amer- in a modern American context, um, which kind of makes the community ripe to build empathy for racial justice issues. Um, so I could go into more detail, but uh, I want to get to your, your next question. Co-conspirator, I... I have I have an idea of what you mean there, but I'd love to maybe know when you say co-conspirator, um, do you just mean like working together to to tackle the challenge? Or? Yeah, you know, um, it comes from Tawana Petty, that book that you. Is it co-conspirator or co-liberator? Oh, co-liberator. I don't know. Either way, now I know what you mean, and Tawana Petty's brilliant. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, I, I apologize if I got that wrong. I thought it was co-conspirator. You know what? You I totally did, be right, so I don't want to. just come from an amazing workshop, and then co-conspirator might have come up. And you know what? I think, you know, co-liberator, co-conspirator. Co-conspirator feels like more strategic. Now uh, I know what you mean, so, so I don't yeah. mean to get caught up on the language. <laughs> um, what does no, it mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I was just going to say that... Um, you know, collaboration is definitely um, part of it. But I am thinking about, on a, on a, to be very clear, a very strategic, what are the, the ways to address um, anti-blackness, for instance? Um, what are the ways to uh, address some of the... Um, because I know, I, I, I would like to think that co-conspirator um, came about, for instance, in the North End, when we had Jewish families sell to black American families, um, you know, regardless of redlining, um, as a way of, you know, really kind of understanding that there is a, a group, this marginalized group that 
is it is being denied access to this very thing that we have and we're going to provide access. Um, so that's a level of being a co-conspirator. Um, <clears throat> just curious what that means now with this political climate um, and with black bodies um, being targeted um, along with um, synagogues. Yeah, so I think... Um in the context of, of what Tawana describes that I think is so brilliant and so interesting, um, from an organizing lens, she's describing this idea of uh, effectively like when engaging, um, when engaging white people around anti-racism organizing, um, you know, instead of thinking of it as, as a seesaw where, you know, a privilege and oppression where you're effectively asking white people to, step down to, to, to uh, give something up in order to participate. Uh, instead, you're reframing that to say, no, like there's, you're, you're part of, you're attached to something messed, you know, fucked up that if you don't, uh, that by not, not taking this step, you're actually hurting yourself. So it's this idea of asking white people to instead step up um, into the, into the responsibility. And uh, um, so it's, it's this opportunity to, 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 to leverage um, to, the privilege. To co-liberate as opposed yeah. <laughs> to uh, asking somebody to, to step out of something, which um, I think in so many ways is, is just, uh, I just think so so brilliant because um, it's, it's just a reframing of, of kind of the same concept in a way that um, is just like a better sales pitch, uh, in my opinion. Um, it's just something that I think can, can kind of resonate with a, with a broader audience. So um, specifically as it relates to... Um, the Jewish community, I think there, it's, it's particularly interesting because Jews have uh, kind of interesting skin in the game where what I just mentioned a, a moment ago is this idea of, um, you know, not only do Jews have this kind of recent cultural trauma um, tied to the, the Holocaust, but also, um, and, and historical trauma more broadly speaking, you know, throughout history, there's been pogroms and all these in the Inquisition and all these different things. So, so that is is kind of in the cultural psyche. Uh, this idea that uh, when times are good, they could be bad in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so that idea of the cyclical nature of progress—that uh, it's not just a ramp that always goes up—which um, I think, to be honest, is is often the way that the um, assimilation narrative is is painted in American context, where it's like you. Um, different cultural groups, the Irish, Italians, Jews, uh, kind of, you know, groups uh, immigrate to the country and, in, in, you know, and are, and are othered, but then kind of step into this, um, this, this sense of whiteness um, and, and assimilate culturally. Uh, but I think for, for me as a Jewish person, um, I recognize that two generations ago, uh, my, my grandma certainly did not think of herself as being white in an American context. She was, you know, marginalized in a wide variety of ways. Uh, that means that two generations from now, my grandchildren might not be white in America. Um, so there's a different kind of sense of urgency around um, what what it means to to fight for for anti-racism organizing. In the sense that uh, not only is it the right thing to do, and that there's all sorts of reasons why we should be supporting uh, people that are facing racial marginalization today, uh, but on the flip side, um, this could be literally us, uh, you know, in, in the future, um, our future generations. Um, Donald Trump is president. Like, like, there's some crazy stuff going on, and anti-Semitism is is uh, running wild. Um, people are shooting up synagogues. It's insane. Um, so it's the type of thing where it's like, no, it's like you you can't sit on the sidelines uh, 
and just pretend like this isn't something that impacts the community directly. It's something that um, there's there's a, a certain type of sense of urgency, and uh, uh, it's not something that, that can kind of just be. We we don't have the luxury of just ignoring it the way that somebody who's um, kind of in a in a different position uh, with white skin might might be able to with a different history. I think um, I really have been appreciating seeing. Uh, the Jewish activist groups who are blocking roads to detention centers with signs that say never again. Um, that is beautiful and moving. Yeah, I mean, there's a, that's a perfect example where there's a common narrative that the, I remember hearing growing up where there were ships that came from uh, during World War II, uh, people fleeing uh, the Holocaust that got turned away in America. Um, I hope that's true. I, I've, I remember like that was the narrative that I was told when I was younger. Well, I'm definitely not surprised. I'm not surprised either. But but it's uh, <laughs> as horrifying as that is. But the the point is that when we're having conversations around, for example, refugees or immigration, uh, there's something extremely personal about that issue for Jews. That's uh, I'm not saying just Jews. I think that's uh, I think this is part of why it's so important for people of all uh, backgrounds, particularly white people from different cultural backgrounds, to connect with their ethnic backgrounds because. Mm-hmm. The Irish were persecuted. The Italians were persecuted. So it's like, I think if, if more groups uh, connected with, with that cultural legacy, especially of their own people's marginalization, I think more people would, I think we could build a similar type of empathy to what I'm describing. I'm just focused on the Jewish community because it's my own community. It's your lane. I get it. I stay in my lane. And, uh, but, you know, I think that this is very much what you're commenting on, the decolonization process when it comes to race race relations, because the colony is telling us to separate um, based on these, these you know, really kind of arbitrary <laughs> factors, right? This one drop of black blood makes you black, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, and it's because there was a time when we were definitely black, white, indigenous, everyone was um, uh, collaborating and working together to free themselves from um, these kinds of op- oppressive, powerful, you know, wealthy um, people, um, and and so the policies had to be put in place in order to keep these powers at bay. And, and this this race project has just extended and 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 just <laughs> is ever evolving. Um, and it feels almost out of control because I just am astonished that we are experiencing that which our parents have experienced and their parents have experienced. It's exhausting as well because you, you're like, when is the fight going to end? Yeah. Right? But what I do see and, um, and what I'm really excited about are people of the younger generations really rejecting these kinds of levels of separation mm-hmm. and, and uh, uh, categorization of all kinds and those limits. So that's what's really exciting. What do yep. you see in terms of the future of Detroit, um, specifically in terms of how we move forward with race relations? Because we're very segregated here, um, as you know, and uh, it and it's very intense because we, I don't think that we've healed from past um, racial uh, challenges, I'll say, <laughs> um, because since we're still, you know, dealing with structural and spatial racism, it, it makes it kind of difficult to kind of move forward in my mind. 
But I would love to hear, you know, since you are doing the work to kind of heal and move us forward, you know, what is your vision of the, the future of Detroit in terms mm. of race? Yeah, That's a great question. Um, so first of all, I want to say just with regards to, uh, just kind of the, the moment that we find ourselves in. Um, and I, I, I think like, um, I feel really lucky that I can kind of like, I'm enough removed from being oppressed in my day-to-day life that I can kind of like step back and view things more holistically. Not, not to say that you don't view things holistically. That came out wrong, but hear me out. I, all that I'm saying is that um, I think, you know, if, if we look at this, uh, if I'm thinking about the moment that we're in, and I'm thinking about kind of the broader American context where we've kind of seen this pattern of, um, you know, the country founded on some, some messed up, uh, some messed up uh, things, <laughs> um, take, taking land and enslaving people. Um, and then you have kind of throughout history, you have these progressive pushes, the end of slavery um, and reconstructionism followed by Jim Crow, followed by, um, you know, a progressive backlash, followed by mass incarceration, however you want to frame that narrative. I think this, this kind of uh, theme of um, kind of progressive push followed by regressive backlash, followed by progressive push, followed by regressive backlash has been um, pretty consistent throughout uh, American history with, with a wide variety of social movements. Um, the reason that I say that is to say that um, kind of as an organizer, so as a human being, I'm, I'm terrified <laughs> um, and anxious, and I feel all those feelings. As an organizer, I'm excited I, because I see this moment as, you know, Obama was president for most of my politically conscious life, and there was a type of complacency that I was seeing in kind of the broader, especially in the, in the white community, but kind of in the broader community where it's like things kind of felt pretty good for a lot of people. And therefore, it's really hard to activate people when it, when it feels like things are good. And in this really tense moment that we find ourselves in, uh, I see this opportunity to leverage that kind of, now it's in your face. Now it's that people can't ignore it. So it breaks my heart that it takes a synagogue getting shot up for people to pay attention. But a synagogue got shot up and people are paying attention. So now what do we do with that? Does that make sense? So uh, it's a shame that it works that way, but it's like we're in this moment where people really are paying attention, a much wider range of people. It's the, in my lifetime, this is by far where the, you know, uh, I've never seen people so activated um, or like, like ready to be activated. Um, So to me, it's like, we can't, we can't just like squander that opportunity. It's like, now's the time to to get people while they're kind of, while people feel like their backs are against the wall where they're like highly anxious. Um, And it's time to make, the biggest progressive push we possibly can with that energy. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't answer your question. No, but I, I have a follow-up question to yep. that statement. Yeah. Where do people begin? If a white person is listening right now and they're just like, I want to be a co-liberator, what is the most respectful way that I can enter the conversation and really be of help? I think particularly around... I think the key is, first of all, like figuring out what you're passionate about. There's, there's infinite kind of causes that you could support. And I think that there's a tendency for people to, um, get overwhelmed and then kind of be frozen, uh, with inaction because there's the, there's so many problems that how can I ever make a dent? Um, so I think the key is kind of zeroing in on what your, what, what really lights your fire because the work is hard. And it's unsustainable to be focused on an issue or, or trying to tackle something that you're not, that you don't feel that personal connection to, I suppose. 
Um, so I'd say, like, first of all, like, like, be honest with yourself about, like, where your passion lies, if that's the environment, if that's race relations, if that's, like, whatever the case may be. Um, and then I think there's uh, an aspect of, like, you have to be, you have to, like, seek out the people that are in the trenches already doing the work. So you can't just, like, step into uh, a situation, um, you might hear that called, like, white savior mindset or something like that, where, um, it, you know, uh, racism still exists not because there aren't people doing amazing anti-racism organizing. It still exists for, for, because it's a huge problem to be tackled. There's, there's people already in the trenches doing this work. Um, so seeking those people out and assuming that they know more about it than you do and, and figuring out how you can add value to what's already, um, to, to the action that's already underway. Um, I think a lot of people miss that. And I think that's like a really simple way to think about it. Um, if I had to simplify it, I'd say that that would be the, the one. And I think that that gets into kind of some deeper themes around kind of like decentralizing your worldview. I think it's like really growing up white in America or growing up, quite frankly, as a man in America. I think there's uh, aspects of um, just kind of the mentality. It's like your, your own lived experience lines up with the, with the norm more directly than someone who uh, is, is from a marginalized community. So there's a tendency to kind of just assume that that's how things are, uh, that your experience reflects the experience of everybody. Um, so kind of like de decentering de your own uh, worldview, I think, is, is essential um, to that equation. And, and to answer your question about, about uh, um, the future of Detroit, I mean, I think that, uh, man, I think that in order to do that, I think we have to be in physical proximity with each other. I think you, ha we ha you can't just read a book about race relations. You have to embrace and, and, and uh, immerse yourself in the work. And the work it might just be making friends from different cultural backgrounds. Uh, but there, there's no, no amount of reading can do what having close friends from a different culture can, can do for, for teaching you about it. Um, so how that applies on kind of a broader scale uh, with city planning, I think that I don't know what the ultimate solution is, but desegregating our neighborhoods and schools and everything is, is I think, the, the, the biggest uh, piece of that equation, whether it's mixed income housing, whether it's, uh, you know, some sort of, you know, other types of rent, rent, clever rent control programs that we see, but ensuring that, that neighborhoods don't continue to be so deeply segregated um, I think is just absolutely essential. I think we have, when, you know, new people are moving to the city, they can't all just be concentrated in, in, in clumps. We gotta, we gotta know our neighbors and we gotta be, uh, we gotta be mixing together culturally. And I think that the easiest way to do that is, is through, uh, the way that like housing is, is laid out and the way that, uh, rent prices are, um, are determined. Yeah. I want to add, uh, transportation, public transport, transportation really helps with um, cultural mixing and uh, people even dating each other. We're very segregated in the way that we date, culturally segregated. You know, black people date black people, white people date white people. And of course, it's not the case across the board, but that's we don't see enough of um, interracial dating here in Detroit, personally. Um, as a single woman, <laughs> I don't get hit on by anybody but black men. Um, What's which up? Is, is, hey. How you doing? <laughs> but, but that's not the case when I'm in Chicago or if I'm in mm. New York or if I'm in Houston. Um, Interesting. 
Yeah. So, so that says something about the the cultural climate here that people hmm. may not even feel comfortable. Um, and I think also when you have white bodies coming into a majority black city, you have the issue of fear of the black body. So if if people you know believe they have like a really good heart and they're liberal and they're very progressive, but still have fear of the black body, you know it's hard to kind of face that and confront that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been causing a little bit of an issue uh, in terms of trying to live amongst each other um, because it comes out sometimes. And just coming, I couldn't agree more. And I think just coming back to like, that's why I'm so focused on building authentic relationships between, I, I happen to be focused on the Jewish community, but it's, it's really about building relationships between the white community and the black community. I just happen to be focused on the, the white skinned community that I'm closest to. Uh, that's why I believe that authentic relationship building is, is at the core of my vision for what that looks like because Detroit is small enough socially that you can get into a certain type of scene. You can be in the electronic music scene, the art scene, whatever it is, and you can start very quickly, regularly seeing the same faces. There's, there's kind of this very quick sense that you can kind of pick up on the, on the community. Uh, so it feels very tangible to like if we can connect and create authentic relationships between kind of the movers and shakers, uh, the open-minded movers and shakers in the black community and the white community uh, around mutual interests like eating delicious food and listening to awesome music. Um, it just feels like uh, starting there just makes so much sense mm-hmm. um, and that that can open the door to, to collaboration and to opening opportunities for each other and all types of things. Give me a lot of likes with that. <laughs> so I have a suggestion. Please. I think you should start a speed dating Ooh. series for black and Jewish people. <laughs> uh, just saying. No, but I've been as long learning. as the, the mothers are Jewish and the, the fathers are black because <laughs> it's, it's halachic law. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but what about me? <laughs> totally kidding. I think it depends. It, certain certain people are uh, for, for listeners out there. Certain people are uh, they're, they're the Jewish community. I forget there's a word for that, but the the Jewish community is uh, there also is like additional pressure outside of just interracial. You know, being it's not just an aversion to interracial dating. There's a strong social pressure around finding a Jewish partner um, because there's a lot of anxiety around uh, Judaism. Uh, kind of assimilating itself out. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. There's actually like a ton of uh, interesting social pressure within the Jewish community to date and, and marry Jewish that, that's completely independent of, of race. But what about like people converting? People seem to be converting. I just want to be clear that my ex-girlfriend is, is biracial and I date black women. So, <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm not trying to suggest that, uh, that that's true across the board. Um, I, can, I, can, uh, I can say that it's not true because I'm not at least one example. Okay. I, but, and I know other uh, <laughs> Jews that date, that date outside of their uh, cultural identity. Um, yeah, but because I do there's think a lot of black and Jewish babies out here. There are a lot of black and Jewish babies, it's true. There's a lot, there's a lot of black Jews. To, I'm just trying to keep the legacy going. <laughs> I I think uh, I I love the idea. I think that there's uh, so much to be gained from from people teaming up, uh, but not just dating. I think that it's it's across the board. I think it's um, 
You know, how can we, uh, you know, when people look to hire, when people look to, to bring on a photographer for a project, when people look, you know, all these different things, there's just a tendency to reach out through your personal network. So if we can expand the scope of what someone's personal network looks like to include people from a broader cultural mix, it, I, I don't mean to oversimplify, but it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's an exciting step forward that, that can be accomplished uh, you know, through starting by just like having fun together and, and actually like connecting on an authentic level. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that is my personal vision. My personal vision is to be um, continuing to organize programming built around Effectively, I'm calling it the co- it's the coalition series because it's, it's building a coalition of like-minded people who happen to be from different cultural backgrounds, which in Detroit means that you're less likely to just naturally cross paths, unfortunately, um, bringing together people that should know each other because they're cool and, and I have a, just kind of this general, I'm pretty good at like knowing who might get along. Um, so I like to, you know, the, the dream scenario at these, at these events, these, these dinners and brunches is that uh, you bring together a group that's very intentionally curated, so it's uh, you know roughly half black and half Jewish, with 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 a smattering of, of black Jews as uh, kind of the and some other folks as well, um, who, you know who are who are down with the cause, um, and that folks are there intentionally, but that as quickly as possible, people are forgetting that they're there representing a specific cultural background, and an hour into the night. You just walk by and there's like two people talking about their love of photography. There's two people talking about, uh, you know, whatever, that they both play basketball. And it's like, it's so cool when, when people kind of can shed that, uh, whatever their expectation around, I'm here representing some specific identity and just be human beings together in a room. And there's a certain type of connection that can then happen. Um, but for whatever reason, we just, I, I just don't see that happening enough. So that, that was, you know, I, I just decided I wanted to, Start making it happen. That. Well, thank you so much for creating those safe spaces and their spaces of joy for us to connect together. So cool. <laughs> I'm going to start winding it down. I, I always ask every guest this question. Um, how do you decolonize daily? Um, it's a fantastic question. And I think for me, the, the biggest one, and I, I touched on this earlier, is the the concept of um, really decentering my decentering my own worldview, um, I think, is is kind of the biggest one. So when I when I see something that is uh, might feel weird or different or like that doesn't make sense, you know, I I try to be very conscious about instead of jumping to that's weird, jumping to I wonder why that that came out. I wonder why somebody said something I disagree with or or something like that. Um, and more often than not, what you discover is that it, that somebody's coming from a very reasonable place that's just informed by a different life experience than yours. Um, and I think particularly, again, for, for someone coming from, uh, a, 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 if, you, if you have white skin in America and if you're a man in America, there's a certain type of, uh, not to suggest that that means your life's going to be good, but it certainly means that your world experience uh, is more likely to align with kind of what's considered the, the cultural kind of default or norm um, just because of the, the way that our culture works. Um, so I think it's really important for people to, to kind of stop and, and think of it that way. Um, and I think also uh, 
Yeah. So like just not, not assuming that I have the answers that, that my, my approach is going to be the correct approach. I'm, I'm, uh, I am actively looking to uh, receive feedback from, from whoever I'm thinking that I might want to be helping or working with. Um, I'm looking to get, to understand what is needed and how I can, how I can add value rather than coming into it thinking I have the answer and I'm going to let you know what the answer is. Well, we're always down for decentering a white man <laughs> every day, all day. Um, so I, one last question. Absolutely. Um, it's all about the pleasure principle. Um, please share how you intentionally inject joy and pleasure into your life. Yeah. Um, I'm really weird. I do all sorts of interesting things. Uh, but I think the, the biggest one is just I'm, I'm a very social being. So I'm very frequently uh, attending events and hanging out with friends. I just I love people and, and engaging around music and art and different things. Um, but in my just like personal uh, life, I love to read. I read a lot. Um, I love to draw. I do a lot of... Uh, I kind of go through these waves where like something... I kind of have these different groups of interests. I draw, I read, I uh, actually juggle. That's interesting. Uh, a few other things, and I kind of like go through these waves. I play a little guitar, and I kind of and I write. I write some rhymes, and I go through these kind of waves of uh, when I feel inspired uh, by artistic expression um, that that bring me a ton of joy. But I can't do it unless I'm like feeling inspired. So it's like I'm kind of like constantly seeking what's what feels right in the moment, and and kind of following that path. That was a really elaborate answer. I'm sorry. No, no. My <laughs> girlfriend, she just told me, wanted, what did she say? She was like, I'm a lover. I'm just a lover of all things. And I was like, girl, me too. I love it. I, I'm very nomadic in my interests, even in my physical you know, space. Like, <laughs> I love the diversity of just life of all things. So I get you. I'm, I'm with you. On that. Some, sometimes I think I'm just like a toddler, maybe not a toddler, like a five-year-old in an adult body. Just like looking at the world, like whoa, that's cool. Yeah, you I'm do have very, a lot very of fun. easily, uh, <laughs> very easily distracted, and very, uh, very, very low bar for wonder. Oh, not strong either. sense of wonder. <laughs> no, that's what I say. If artwork has glitter or it's super colorful, I am all about it. <laughs> so shiny things is what you're trying to say. Oh, I love the shiny things. <laughs> it's beautiful. Thank you, thank you so much, Jacob, for sharing with us. Thank you, and thank you for everything that you do. You're a huge inspiration to me, and I love how we keep crossing paths and such interesting stuff, trying to explore new, innovative models for how we make the world a better place. I love everything you're doing, so please keep it up. Well, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. And to our listeners, uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and I would love to hear from you. How do you decolonize your destiny? please email me at decolonizeyourdestiny at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. I am your host, Ingrid LaFleur. Have a good one. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. This is the Detroit is Different Podcast Network, the culture of an American classic city. Oh,